This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. So this week, I'm going to be looking at three things. One, the nature of forgiveness. So what is it? What, what it isn't, uh, but what is it? Uh, the dangers of forgiveness. How is it that in our, particularly in our Christian culture, we have uh, cast forgiveness in such a way uh, that really is not biblical, uh, that really maybe hasn't been helpful and has been damaging to a lot of our relationships? And then I want to do something a little different where we're going to practice forgiveness here. So often I, we, we sort of drop sort of concepts or truths and then we ask you to go away and put those into practice, but we're going to actually do that today together. Uh, so at the end, uh, we will be looking at what, it, what does it look like, but also experiencing practicing forgiveness here. Practicing not only giving it, but receiving it. So with that said, let me pray, and then we'll jump right back into it. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in this room now this morning. There's hurt in this room, there's shame, there's guilt. There are people who have walked away from you. There are people who are walking away from you. There are people who are coming back to you. And so wherever everyone is, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would minister to them now. Help me to forget the things that I prepared that aren't going to be helpful this morning. Help me to remember the things that are going to bring those who are far near. Spirit, we pray that you would be pleased to save this morning, even now. As my broken words ring out, May your perfect word carry them and bring them to effect. Help me now. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Now, the story of Joseph that we've been looking at has played quite a prominent sort of role in our Western social imagination. And that's been true for hundreds of years, uh, until, until I feel very recently, where we have entered into an age, uh, now some, some of you may, may know it as the call-out culture or the canceled culture, where if, you, uh, if, if, if by some chance someone is digging through Twitter or Facebook and they find something that you said 5, 10, 15 years ago, you better be sure you're going to be held to account for that. And oftentimes in Hollywood, your shows will be canceled or your sponsorships or, or, or things like that, where what happens now is that we are judged today, we're judged for our social sins of the past by the social mores of today. Now, I'm not saying that's an all bad thing. I'm not saying that it is a bad thing. In fact, it is a good thing that a lot of our social institutions are being called out, are being exposed. Those are good things. But I think oftentimes what happens is we live out of that space primarily. A call-out culture, a, a culture of canceled becomes the primary way that we operate in the world. And what I'm finding as I think about our culture and as, as I think about what's coming next is that if we continue here and, and even if we live out primarily out of this space of called out, canceled culture, then what's going to happen is we're going to create a culture that is stripped of grace, that is brittle, that is hard, that is fragile. And it's not so much that this is a bad thing. The problem is who is sitting in the judgment seat? Who is the one who is to say what we should call people out about what they said 15 years ago. 
Because as a follower of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, and I'm not, assuming, I'm not assuming that everyone in this room is a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you to that. I want to invite you to explore that. But I don't want to assume that everyone here is there. But I want to say, as a follower of Jesus, judgment, right judgment is important. Thinking rightly and being held to account for the things that we have done or said is good and true. And so I want to, in one sense, say canceled culture is in some sense a good thing. Because in fact, Jesus is, is the prophet of canceled culture par excellence. He says this in Matthew 12, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give account, that's everyone, that's us, people will give account for every careless word they speak. One of the most, for, for me personally, one of the scariest texts People will be held to account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so I want to say, judgment matters. I'm not, I'm not just poo-pooing call-out culture or canceled culture. These things are in some sense just a toxic caricature of the truth of Jesus. We need to be held to account of the way that we have hurt our maker and the things that he has made. But when this, again, is the primary center that we live our life out of, we create a culture that is completely stripped of grace, brittle, hard, and heartless. And I feel our text today, Genesis 45 and, and onwards, is going to offer us something that we need to recover, that we need to recover in a way that is going to be helpful for us, that in a way that is going to be humane, in a way that is going to help us to be the people of God in this world, and that is forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a surprising reality, especially in our culture. Forgiveness, when, when a real, thick, tangible, visceral experience of forgiveness happens, we're kind of taken aback by it. When you hear about Amish communities forgiving perpetrators, when you hear about people who have forgiven others for deep and serious and inhumane harm, that takes us aback. Forgiveness is confronting in an age where grace is lacking, where we are stripped of that. I want to take you back to September 6th, 2018. September 6th, 2018, and many of you would have seen this in the news this week. Uh, Botham Jean was in his apartment. Uh, he, was, he was an African-American living in Houston. He was in his apartment eating ice cream. And someone comes into his apartment and shoots him in the chest. An off-duty police officer shoots him in the chest. He dies minutes later. And she realizes that she was on the wrong floor. She lived the floor above. And she was convicted this, this week, this past week, just a couple days ago. She was convicted for murder. She's going to be spending 10 years in prison for that. And I bring this up, not because of that particular issue, but because of what happened this week in court. So Botham's younger brother, Brent, uh, he was asked to give a testimony. And many of you would have seen this already, but in his testimony, he offers some of the most touching and profound and confronting words that we can see today. He offers pardon, he offers love, he offers well wishes. Now, I'm not here to argue about whether all that he said is healthy or right. 
But what this has introduced into our conversation, our social conversation, is that forgiveness is weird. And this, this, this picture that you see of him asking the judge if he can step down and hug the murderer of his brother. And as they weep together, we see that in our text. That pathos, that, that energy, that, 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 that rawness that is forgiveness. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, verse 3. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And he asks them to come near. And he says in verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all the house. Hurry, go and get my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. And he goes on. And in verse 12, Now... Your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks. He reveals himself to them, and then he falls upon his brother Benjamin's neck and sobs and weeps. And Benjamin sobs and weeps, and he kisses his brothers, and they weep together. That, that sort of, you can feel that. It's palpable. And as you see Brant hugging the convicted murderer of his older brother, that comes through. And there were so many conflicting responses to this. A lot of people were saying, look, look at how beautiful grace is. Look at how beautiful forgiveness is. Most of my friends and most of my family were outraged at this reality. They thought it was wrong. They thought this was the, one of the most disgusting things they have ever seen. And so what is it? that draws out these different competing and conflicting responses. And I, I often think it's because we misunderstand forgiveness. We misunderstand the nature of forgiveness. We misunderstand what was happening in that courtroom, and we misunderstand what is happening in this text so often. So I want to talk about the nature of forgiveness, and I want to talk about it in the sense of what it isn't. Oftentimes it's helpful to think about what something isn't to clarify what it is. But I also want to talk about the dangers of forgiveness. How is it that forgiveness can be dangerous for us? And then I want to talk about, and I want to actually practice with you, the way of forgiveness. So I want to say really clearly up front what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean, and a lot of you need to hear this today, that we do not pursue God-ordained paths of justice. Forgiveness does not mean that we don't pursue God-ordained paths of justice. Romans 13 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, that those that exist have been instituted by God. And he goes on in verse 4 to, to say that the government holds a sword to bring and mete out justice. So forgiveness does not mean picking up a rug, as it were, and just sweeping injustice under the rug. In fact, I want to say that forgiveness, built-in forgiveness, has to be the acknowledgement of a deep wrong done. To forgive something means there must be something to forgive. And so, so many times we have heard as Christians that it doesn't matter how people feel. It doesn't really matter how it makes you feel. You just need to forgive. 
You just need to let it go. You just need to sweep it under the rug. And we'll talk more about that under the dangers of forgiveness. But I want to say really clearly that forgiveness never means foregoing the God-ordained, instituted paths of justice. Particularly when we think about victims of abuse or domestic violence, many of whom may be here today. Thinking that the church has called you to just sit under that and forgive that. And that is never the call of Jesus. You are not called to remain in a toxic and abusive relationship. For that's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness does not just sweep things under the rug. It also doesn't mean that we don't feel the sting of grief. This idea that once we... Uh, uh, once we enact forgiveness or put ourselves in the posture of forgiveness, which we'll talk about in a minute, that, that that means that we don't feel the sting of grief, of hurt done to us or by us. Forgiveness doesn't mean excusing someone's behavior. It does not mean that we forget what people have done. And also forgiveness, and, and finally I want to say forgiveness is not just an internal reality. So you have heard, probably, that you just need to forgive this person. It doesn't matter where, where their, their state of mind or heart is, but you just need to unilaterally, meaning it, it, forgiveness is just something that happens in my psyche, in my person. And that is expressly against what the scriptures say. Forgiveness is not just an internal reality, it is a social reality. It is a transaction that happens between an offender and the offended. And so forgiveness is a social reality that doesn't just happen in my heart. Although there are aspects of it that have to happen in here first. And so I want to talk about two things. One is forgiveness as posture and forgiveness as practice. And so often we confuse the two. This is what you're called to, Christian. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is what you are called to. You are called to continually be in a posture of forgiveness. This is what Jesus says in Luke 17. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Ladies, you're not off the, the, the hook. This is brothers and sisters. If your brother or sister sins, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times, repents, turns back to you, you must forgive them. And so notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't saying here, it doesn't matter how many times. It doesn't matter if they come back. It doesn't matter if they repent. It doesn't matter if they turn. You just need to unilaterally forgive. That is expressly what Jesus is not saying. And so I don't want us to confuse, and I believe this confusion has caused a lot of us so much pain when we are told you must forgive this person, even though they have not acknowledged the wrong, even though they have not sought to show that they have acknowledged that wrong. Because that's exactly what we see in the text. In chapters 42 to 44, what we find is Joseph continually testing his brothers continually testing them to see if they're going to treat Benjamin, the new favorite little brother, if they're going to treat Benjamin the way they treated him. And what he sees is that they are willing to forgo their own life now 
for Benjamin instead of giving up Benjamin for their life. And he sees this deep change in them, and it's at that point that he reveals himself to them. And they weep, and he offers pardon. And so I don't want you to hear me here in saying that you're not called to put yourself in a posture of forgiveness. What I want to release you from is the idea that doesn't matter if people repent or turn, you just need to forgive them. Forgiveness by nature is a transaction. And so we can't do that alone. But what we can do, what God calls us to, is to continually, by grace, put ourselves in the posture of forgiveness. And so behind me, you'll see a couple slides. And I want us to think about this, where posture means this. Every follower of Jesus is called to posture themselves for the practice of forgiveness. But forgiveness at this stage has not taken place just yet. And that is a healthy place to be in. To always be ready to forgive. To not operate out of uh, this hurt where, where the hurt or the pain isn't the primary way that you interact with people. People who have hurt you. But often, we're taught that we just need to practice it without the posture. Practice without posture, so just kind of stuffing it down and just saying, I just need to get over this, is a recipe for an unhealthy, dangerous, and shallow spirituality. Because what we do then is we, 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 we don't acknowledge the pain. We don't acknowledge the hurt. They don't acknowledge the pain or the hurt. And then we just push it down and we pretend everything is okay. And that is not what God calls us to. What, what Jesus calls us to is to both posture our hearts and to be always ready to practice forgiveness. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live out the counter-cultural practice of posturing our hearts towards forgiveness and being ready to offer forgiveness in a humane, biblical, and psychologically healthy way. I just want you to imagine this. For, you don't need to imagine it. Let me just give you a story personal story. I, uh, I walked through a divorce of, of two, two of my f- favorite people in the world. And um, through the divorce, through that separation, um, the, the guy who was in the wrong in, in, in this instance um, started coming to church and gave his life to Jesus. And so in receiving forgiveness and in receiving teaching that if you're a Christian, you must forgive, he would demand her to forgive him forcing her, in a sense, to forgive the wrong that he has done. Now, that's not right. Imagine if the murderer of Botham Jean was sitting in a courtroom demanding forgiveness, not acknowledging what she has done wrong, but so often that, that, that's the caricature that we carry, and that's why so many people often see forgiveness as weak, but forgiveness is one of the strongest. It takes strength It takes an inner strength to forgive because you have to acknowledge wrong. And this is exactly what we see God doing. God doesn't go to the cross in the person and work of Jesus to posture himself to forgive us. That's really important. That the cross is not of uh, uh, the way by which God loves us. It is the response because he loves us. 
That's vitally important for us to get. That God in Christ has already postured himself toward us. He sees us with tenderness and that's why he goes to the cross. And the cross then enacts that. It embodies that. It makes that possible for us. It's a gift that is given to us and it's waiting for us to receive it. And maybe you're here and you've never received it. And the gift is there waiting for you to receive this forgiveness. The cross did not create this posture, but it embodied it in flesh and blood. The cross and the resurrection are proof that God's heart has always been in a posture of love toward you. And he invites us into this beautiful life where we can receive forgiveness and give it. I would venture to say that there are many, many of us here who have tried. You've really, really tried with everything you have to forgive hurt done against you. And you feel blocked. You feel like it, like it just hasn't happened, like it can't happen. You've tried to place your heart in a posture of forgiveness. And I, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure where you're at, but I tell you this. When we try to give of something that we don't have, we'll, we'll fail. And it's not about trying, but it is about training our hearts to be placed in a posture of forgiveness. And the only way that you are ever going to place your heart in a posture of forgiveness against those who have hurt you is by receiving forgiveness. That's the only way that we are going to be the people of God in this city that will not just live out of a brittle and hard culture, but that will bring grace and forgiveness to this culture. And so towards that end, I want to lead us now in a time of confession and repentance and forgiveness. I don't want to just drop a concept on you for you to go away, but I want us to hear to pause for a moment. And maybe this is, this is the first time in your week where you're going to get a chance to breathe and to think and to slow down. And one of the ways that we fight our battles is not through flesh and blood, but it's through prayer and repentance and confession and forgiveness. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament where um, uh, Elijah has his eyes opened and he sees a battle going on. This spiritual battle. And we're so closed off to that in our culture particularly, even as Christians. But there is a raging battle for your soul and your mind happening even now as I speak. And one of the ways that we fight is through repentance and confession and forgiveness. And so I'd like you to take a moment now as I invite the band up just to think about your week. I want you, if you feel comfortable doing this, to close your eyes for just a moment. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. You don't have to answer them out loud. I, I actually invite you not to. But think about these questions. Maybe this is the first time you're ever doing this. 
Maybe this is the first time that you've ever even thought about doing this. Maybe this is the first time that you've encountered grace from Jesus. And ask yourself this question, when this week did you mess up? When have you failed to do God's will? And as you think about those questions, and I'll give you a few more, but as you think about those questions, this is crucial. God is looking at you right now with eyes of tenderness. So often we've received eyes of disappointment from our parents or from our peers or from those who we look up to. And we carry that into the throne room of God, thinking God must be disappointed. I'm, I'm thinking about how, how I've failed. Of course he's disappointed. And I want to put that lie back into the pit of hell where it belongs and tell you that he is looking at you with eyes of tenderness. Even as he looks at you in our failure and our sins, his eyes are welling up with tears of joy that you would come back to him. Oh, he's so excited when you come back to him, when you confess, when you repent. Repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance is a way to cultivate a beautiful and deep relationship with the Father. He calls us to that. And so as you close your eyes and as you think about these questions that I'm asking, you need to see his face as one full of love and compassion. That is his posture towards you now. Where did you mess up? What do you need to confess? Where have you failed to do his will? Where did you hurt someone this week? Where has someone hurt you this week? Isolate that. Put your finger on that. We can live our lives in one of two ways. We can either live our lives confessing our sins, our brokenness, receiving forgiveness from God, or we can live our lives ignoring the sins which negatively impact our relationship with God and others. We can live as people who seriously wrestle with the call to forgiveness, not an easy call, or we can live our lives out of a center of resentfulness and unforgiveness that ultimately will hurt us, others, and our relationship with God. So to this end, I want to invite you to just sit for a moment in silence and think about where have I failed? What do I need to confess? Who have I hurt? How have I been hurt? And just bring that to a father who is waiting with open, tender arms. Holy Spirit, come. Make us aware of your presence here in this room. Give us eyes to see where we have failed to do the things that we shouldn't that, that, that we should have done and not done the thing and done the things that we shouldn't have done. 
Help us to experience this time as a time of grace, as a lifting up of burden, not one of placing burden. Holy Spirit, come and do a work in this place. And so together, Lord, we confess our many sins. We confess them to you. We confess them to one another. Knowing that you are all loving and forgiving and gracious. And that before we even ask, while we were yet sinners, you died for us to make this possible. To make this very moment of coming to the throne of grace possible. Not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. You no longer call us servants, you call us friends. And so, church, I want to pronounce now over us a word. I want to pronounce you forgiven, not because I have any special authority but because the word of God has authority. And his word needs to be louder and stronger than our own, in our own lives. And so I want you to hear this for yourself, that the Lord our God is merciful and gracious. The Lord our God is slow to anger. The Lord our God is abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. The Lord our God, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord our God shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And so in the name of Jesus, I want you to receive this. I want you to receive the forgiveness of the Father. That that may be the center out of which you live. And I want you to imagine what kind of people we can be in this city. What kind of person we can be in the different systems that we live in. What kind of redemptive edge we can bring to the places of work, to our families that are broken to our cities that are broken, to our relationships that are broken? What would it look like to be a people that receive grace and therefore can posture ourselves ready to always forgive? I, I, you know, I don't know how you came in here or why you came in here. But I have a vision for us that we would be the people of God, that even as we think about what is happening in the book of Genesis, that even as God sends Joseph into slavery and, and, and he rises through the ranks and he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and his whole family is brought into Egypt to be held slaves for 400 years, 
And as God brings them out of there through the hands and under the hands and leadership of Moses to create a people for himself. And as he gives them the tabernacle to meet with him and worship with him. And as he gives them the temple in the land to meet with him and worship him. And even as he kicks them out into exile. And even as there are 400 years of silence. And even as at the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4 says, he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. To offer us forgiveness so that we can join in his project of renewing the universe. That's what you're called to. Forgiveness isn't just for you to harbor. Forgiveness comes to you on the way to someone else. What kind of people can we be in the city? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have called us to never give out of what we haven't received. And so, Lord, I pray that this moment now for us is a moment of receiving, that we would hear your word to us personally, that you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And because of that, we live out of that. We confess our sin. We repent of it. By grace, Lord, you change our life and our lifestyle not to prove something to you, but because we are yours and you're making us more and more into the image of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I feel so inadequate to effect this work. This is not my work. This is yours. So Holy Spirit, work now, I pray where people need to practice the way of forgiveness, where we have missed opportunities to forgive, where we have quenched the Spirit in our lives and have not wanted to yield to you, Holy Spirit, where we have not wanted to be in a posture of forgiveness, Lord, would you move? May, you see the, may, may we see the way that we have hurt others and offer reconciliation and repentance and renewal and reconciliation. We need you to do this work in us, Lord. And we pray in your beautiful and holy name, Jesus. Amen.